Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Nicole Davis. On the show this week, Oscar-winning movie magician Guillermo del Toro returns with neo-noir thriller Nightmare Alley, Kenneth Branagh looks back at childhood troubles in Belfast, and in Film Club we're bringing Guillermo del Toro's vampiric debut Kronos back from the dead. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, hello listeners. It's good to be back. Happy New Year. Hope you're all doing well. Such a pleasure to be back in the host seat this week. David, how's 2022 treating you so far? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. We've um, released a magazine and started on another one. Um, uh, I kind of came back rare. It's a weird one because I think that in in the sort of movie viewing calendar of, of things, the... Um, you cut all the sort of January, February, maybe even March films are all those kind of award contender titles. And so like you, you get to see most of them at the end of 2021 or the, or the previous year. And so it's a bit of a kind of graveyard in terms of actually being able to see new things. But um, Sundance starts today for which, for which I am not accredited, alas. But, uh, and then there's Berlin in, in just under a month. Um, so yeah, lots of new, that's where the kind of new juicy stuff starts to, to appear. So I'm excited for that, but, uh, yeah, we'll be covering Sundance on our, on our website. And I'm sure, I think when Hannah comes on in a few weeks, she'll chat through some of the things she's seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of exciting stuff premiering at Sundance and at time of recording, this is the day after Berlin announced their, their competition program, lots of new films from familiar names and no doubt new discoveries within that program as well. So keep your eyes peeled on lwis.com for coverage from those festivals. But first, we should welcome Nicole to the podcast. Nicole, it's such a pleasure to have you on. But we have to ask this question whenever we have a new guest on Truth and Movies. Nicole, who are you? Well, um, where to begin? Um, I am a freelance writer, producer and podcaster. I have a podcast called Best Girl Grip, interviewing women behind the scenes of the British film industry about their careers and how they got them. Um, and yeah, I write for various publications at the moment. I've, I've written for Little White Lies a couple of times, but yeah, it's always, always keen to do more of that. Um, and I'm very pleased to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And congratulations. You had your 100th episode of Best Girl Grip this week. 
who have been your highlight guests on there to sort of tease the podcast for our listeners? That's a mean question, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, obviously, Rose was a big deal. Rose Garnett, who is the director of BBC Film, she was my 100th guest. um, And that had been sort of brewing for a long time. She's, you know... A phenomenal name in the British film industry. She's done, you know, she's worked for Film 4 before moving on to BBC Film and her hand has been in a lot of the films that we consider kind of British, contemporary British classics. Um, So that was a highlight. You know, the point of the podcast is to speak to people throughout the breadth of the industry, but often um, producers do have interesting stories. So it's, it's producers that are often the highlights for me. So that's a good way of selling it. Start with the latest episode and listen to every single one before that. Work your way back. Yeah, because yeah, it, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only sound quality gets worse, I'm sure. They're all good content, I'm sure. But the most important question, Nicole, is how is your Northern Irish accent? Well, terrible. <laughs> Actually, that's like one accent I really can't do. I've usually, you know, I could maybe venture into Australian or Welsh, but Northern Irish... It is a hard one to do, maybe as we'll find out when we discuss Kenneth Branagh's Belfast later on in this episode. But let's kick off this week's review section with a big new release, big new release to kick off January, Nightmare Alley. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So before we dive into Nightmare Alley, let's kick off with a synopsis. When charismatic but down on his luck, Stanton Carlyle endears himself to clairvoyant Zena and her has-been mentalist husband Pete at a travelling carnival, he crafts a golden ticket to success, using this newly acquired psychic knowledge to grift the wealthy elite of 1940s New York society. So David, I'll come to you first on this. This is a new film from Guillermo del Toro, filmmaker who's had been had many twists and turns in a long career. We'll talk about Kronos, his debut later. But this is his post-Oscar film, The Shape of Water, big Oscar contender a few years ago. And he's coming back with this film. Oh, should we be excited? Not a contender, a winner. He won it, Michael. Did you not well, hear? 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, of course. I think like, you know, Oscar or no Oscar, I think that um, for a long time, Guillermo del Toro is someone who, you know, does sort of, you know, event movies for a certain type of, of cinephile. Uh, um you know, he has, he's someone who is kind of working within the system, sometimes at the kind of fringes, sometimes making these kind of quite weird personal blockbusters, sometimes making kind of more personal, weird, um, sort of horror, horror kind of esoterica, I think you'd call it. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's, I think the fact that he is, so, he is a passionate man. He is someone who is, um, very, uh, um forthcoming in his passions and and the things he likes to read the things he likes to immerse himself in he has this kind of he lives in this house of collected film memorabilia from like hollywood's classic classic era and he's really just like someone who is seeped in the the history and lore of hollywood especially kind of um fantasy uh, uh and, and those kind of like and, and, and fantasy and romance i would say uh and he's also he's also someone who's very well versed in kind of genre literature as well horror sci-fi fantasy uh you know he, he's got this kind of encyclopedic knowledge really um and so it's kind of you know when you when you see a new Guillermo del toro film um and indeed when you kind of interview him about those films he's always kind of telling you the the references and you know how certain scenes are kind of replicas of certain you know obscure noir movies or a obscure horror character and like yeah and he'll say in it in the terms he will say it's like oh yeah we 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 ripped that off from this and we ripped that off from that so he's very kind of open about his kind of cut and paste tendencies um this is the first time he's actually taken a uh i mean this is this is I guess it's a remake in the sense that this film has been made before uh, uh, in 1947, Edmund Goulding and uh, with, with, with Tyrone Power in the lead. Um, a really great film, which is it's always worrying when the original is really great because you're like, the question always begs itself, you know, if it's so great, do we, do we need another one? Um, which I guess is the question you've got to ask with this when you're watching it. And I think that this this new version and what he's done with it and the way he has kind of executed it and style and particularly the way he's kind of lavishly stylized it, I think completely justifies its creation. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really fascinating throwback to sort of Hollywood noir. Um, and I think the interesting thing about it and the thing that makes it maybe quite unique in the modern film landscape is that it it's not a pastiche so much kind of noir uh, but when we say noir we mean kind of detective movies gangster movies you know shadows femme fatales all that kind of stuff when we see that process now it's often with quote marks around it and as pastiche but what what he's done with this film is actually make something that is kind of in the spirit of those films down to the, down to its kind of down to a kind of darkness which seem which is quite kind of antithetical to a lot of the films you see released by major studios so you know there's definitely a sense with this movie that there was you know he had a a sense of freedom to do what he wanted to do and to have it kind of 
play out the way he wanted it to play out and I think that the way he thinks it needed to play out so hmm. so so how would you characterize this film if we're approaching it you know he's he's been this filmmaker as you said who sometimes makes these personal films often returning to the Spanish language devil's backbone pan's labyrinth but still with that um with with the the visionary point of view of it as a filmmaker but then he sometimes make these studio films the hellboy movies pacific rim where does this land on that spectrum? For you, well, it's kind of a bit of a... It, it's sort of in two halves of the of the Venn diagram, really. Because on one side, you have got this kind of triple A-list cast. Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, um, Rooney Mara, Tony Collette, David Strathairn. Like, you know, he's it, it's a real kind of who's who of kind of Hollywood awards faves all, all kind of lined up in a row. And um, but actually, the story itself is so kind of strange, and it's kind of the ideas that it's kind of exploring are so esoteric that it's kind of you know it's it's about it's it sees Bradley Cooper as a kind of down at heel transient who kind of wanders into a carnival and gets a job there, you know, like all great stories, you know, and uh, and uh, you know find gets a peek behind the curtain at the carny and realizes that not not is all it seems and he's kind of there is this element of kind of unpicking the illusions behind the carny and i think that like i think there's there's that he then goes on to basically develop these aspirations which means that he kind of is going to go go beyond this kind of small fry world of the traveling carnival and be a a big a big shot on the kind of psychic circuit uh, sort of sight, you know, and he he kind of develops the, you know, in kind of sort of slightly strange, nefarious ways, de- develops the skills to become a sort of psychic medium and is kind of wowing the ballrooms of the big cities and making money. But doesn't you know he is someone who is kind of his character. One of his character traits is he's he never seems fulfilled or satisfied. He always has a kind of aspiration, and that's kind of keying into this idea of like noir being a kind of critique of capitalism and this kind of idea that you're kind of you have these usually men who are trying to get you know always kind of seeking something bigger better but ending up with their own kind of downfall in the end um I think last thing I'll say before I pass on because I'm blathering but like one of the things I really liked about this film and that I find really interesting and worthy of like maybe a bit more discussion is this feeling of like it's that it's quite I feel that it's quite an autobiographical film uh I feel that like a lot of a lot of the things that it that in the film are about I mean to to me I I sort of read it as a kind of portrait of an artist um someone who maybe you know is an artist but maybe but is is too busy kind of pinching ideas off of other people to kind of really strive and succeed down to his own original thought there's a there's a brilliant scene in the film where um Rooney Mara's character who is a kind of she sort of channels electricity into her body um Stand and Carlisle kind of sees her act and he comes up with all these ideas of how to kind of make it better and more dramatic and more interesting to the audience and essentially kind of make more you know um make it more of a show and and it's a really fascinating like insight into kind of okay this is kind of what cinema is in a way it's kind of 
creating this kind of illusion just by placing things, making people see stuff and look a certain way and feel a certain way. And it's, you know, you are tricking them at the end of the day. Um, so there's something quite kind of autobiographical, cinematic about the film and about like, you know, what it means to make movies. Mm. That's a really interesting thread to, to explore as well. In in the film, he, you know, he he learns the tricks of the trade to become this psychic. But all the way through, there's this um, repeating motif about not doing the spooky stuff, not going too dark and really conning people with pretending to be able to bring people back from the dead or anything like that. And I, I, I wonder how that works within that analogy, David. But maybe we can come back to that in a second. Nicole, what did you make of Nightmare Alley? Are you a fan of noir? Is a fan of Del Toro? I'm a big fan of noir. Uh, I'm a fair weather fan of Del Toro. Um, it's funny that David brought up this kind of Venn diagram image because to me it feels very much like a film of two halves, both structurally and tonally. You know, it's sort of the first half is set at the carnival and that feels very much like a kind of Guillermo's playground and you, you have a lot of this kind of carnivalesque and grotesque imagery, the the, the pickled baby um, mm -hmm. and the kind of opening shot of like the man um, decapitating a chicken with his mouth, which yeah feels like familiar territory and full of lots of kind of weird and wonderful imagery. And then the second half sort of moves in, as David said, into the, into the city and it feels much more like straight drama or straight thriller, which didn't always appeal to me as much um but then strangely i preferred bradley cooper's performance in that half of the film i i didn't quite buy him as this this drifting um kid i guess willem dafoe keeps calling him kid and he's like a you know in his 40s he's he's a grown adult and that felt slightly jarring um but there's lots to like from both you know one one didn't kind of let the other side down i think it's, it was really amazing to kind of see him doing this sort of straight thriller and the the dialogue becomes much less pulpy and it's it really, it pulls you in. And I know we're not allowed to spoil endings, but it's a long film and you can feel at some points that it's dragging. But the kind of final act, particularly with Richard Jenkins, who I think gives a phenomenal performance, um, you're really kind of on the edge of your seat for kind of the last the last half an hour of the film. Um, so yeah, I really did enjoy it actually, I have to say. It's, it is interesting. It's two and a half hours, just over two and a half hours in length and that's superhero movie length standard now or Bond movie length. But it really does take its time in the first hour or so building a world and introducing you to all these characters so that when it does move on from the world of the traveling circus to the higher society you do miss some characters you do form relationships with some of those actors and it is it's quite funny it's always um the the post oscar film you have that um that big breakout success and then you can take your pick as you say david from all of the familiar um hollywood royalty and it really is every, every actor in this film has been nominated for an oscar or won an oscar within the last five years <laughs> so it is a roll call of that but they're all used su supremely well richard jenkins is a latecomer definitely but i thought tony collette was fabulous willem dafoe as well bradley cooper after seeing him in such a big cameo big in terms of performance cameo role in licorice pizza only a week or two ago uh, seeing him carry a whole movie was an interesting going you know going back to him being a leading man rather than as he's now a filmmaker or a bit player was interesting david any standout performances for you within that stuffed cast um i did i'd probably say that um 
I liked Kate Blanchett. I thought that I thought that it was a, it was a, there was some good chemistry there, and I, and I really thought the the scenes they did together that her and Bradley did Cooper did together were really good. Um, very rare in a Guillermo del Toro film to have such a lengthy dialogue exchange. I mean, he doesn't tend to do that kind of stuff. He's more of a kind of dynamo wants to wants to have the camera swishing about. But this is like it was quite quite, quite weird to see like a kind of shot reverse shot go on for like what felt like maybe five six seven minutes um and it was a you know it was an amazingly written sort of altercation um i feel like maybe i've seen that that role before like her do that role before which is my only i mean it definitely felt like Mm. a kind of evil carol maybe um (laughs) uh, what if carol went evil but like still not very entertaining um I mean, one of the things I, I, I think I probably would add to sort of maybe temper my initial praise is that I, 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 would, I would probably have to say that I do think it's, yeah. That, I mean, the, origi- the, 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 the 47 film is like 90 minutes and it's, it's, it's does, it kind of does everything and maybe even does a bit more in, in, in like an hour less. So you kind of like, you know, what you do have to sort of ask what, what's, what, what, what's with all the kind of bulk. And I think that true noir rarely is, you know, is rarely more than like, they're, they're kind of, you know, 71 minutes. That's, a, that's, a, that's how you know a noir movie because it's like 71 minutes or something. But like the, yeah, the, there, there's, there are some additions I think there's, I, yeah, I, I don't want to maybe go into them because I think it, because it kind of gets into spoiler territory, but there are basically like, there are, I, I think to justify doing another version of this and, and, you know, they've got, they've obviously gone back to the book and, um, but, but there are some, I think that like in, at the end of the day, Guillermo del Toro is quite a kind of moral director and him operating in this very kind of morally shady, ambiguous world of noir I think there's maybe a little bit of tension there and that he's had to kind of slightly change a few of the characters to make them like fit into a world that is a bit more kind of morally clear cut, Um, which I think is maybe something that will make sense when people see the film. Um, But I think one of the things I really liked about the original is that even the character of Stanton Carlyle in 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 the 47 film, there is there is something even more kind of weirdly slippery and ambiguous about him and you know he and like anti-heroic as well um i think that i think that in this film you maybe feel that like the bradley cooper stanton carlisle is you know maybe erring more towards bad guy territory or the kind of morally corrupted territory whereas like the in the 47 film there is that there you don't really get, you know, he, the, the film really keeps it on a knife edge. It's just, you do not know what to think about this guy and what, and whether he deserves what happens to him. And, uh, you know, it's, for me, maybe a bit more of an interesting take on the, on the, on the source material, but not to say that I didn't enjoy all the kind of lavishness and, you know, you, 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 you feel with Guillermo del Toro that like, you know, he's not on the pinch. Every every dime is on the screen. Mm-hmm. And as we said when we reviewed French Dispatch on this podcast a few months ago, it felt you know like 
Wes Anderson was destined to make museum pieces and exhibitions. And that is exactly what Guillermo del Toro did. He turned his collection into a traveling exhibition of all the curiosities he has in his house, as you mentioned earlier, David. And that's what his films are. And that's how I enjoy them is the elements of design, the gizmos, the gore. And the, there is gore in this film that can be quite shocking, actually, surprising for a, a Guillermo del Toro film. You know it's coming. Someone's going to get something stuck in their face at some point. Uh, but maybe within the this genre trappings, you're not expecting it so much. But I do find that intriguing, David. Maybe we can come back to it another day or see what listeners think about how much this could be a rumination on filmmaking, the fantastique, the dream weavers of cinema and the relationship with the audience. That's, uh, that's quite fascinating. But let's put some scores on Nightmare Alley before we move on to the next movie. David, I'll come to you first. This is out of five, in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big booster for Guillermo. I think even when he sort of slightly misses, I think his films are very kind of like, you know, I'd much rather watch a kind of Guillermo almost miss than some, some other lesser director's big hit. So like probably a five for me um and then maybe like i, I maybe like fours i, I probably this it, it's, it's not a five star film for me it's it's probably it's got like some 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 issues there but still like i think there's like enough meat there to to chew on nicole what do you give it i think anticipation four because it the cast, the starry cast, the fact that you've got yeah Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, the the setting and the plot sounds incredibly intriguing. I would then probably go four and three. I think for in terms of final enjoyment, it it felt to me a little bit LA Confidential meets Water for Elephants at times, and one of those films to me oh, is no. a masterpiece, <laughs> and the other one is can can be a bit bland and. Yeah, there were moments of real peak excitement and moments where it it fell in the kind of water trough, That's so to cold. speak. So cold, yeah. cold. <laughs> at, at least you didn't say Tim Burton's Dumbo. <laughs> but th- thank you for your scores, David and Nicole. I, I'd probably say five, four, four from me for this as well, David. I'm, I'm very much in the bag for Guillermo. Always takes something from his films, even if they're near misses. But listeners, what do you make of Nightmare Alley? Let us know if you see it this weekend. At the usual channels at LW Lies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com via email. But next we have another new release, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. Set in late 60s Northern Ireland, Belfast centres around Buddy, a young boy on the cusp of adolescence whose life is filled with familiar love, childhood hijinks and a blossoming romance. Yet, with his beloved hometown caught up in increasing turmoil, his family faces a momentous choice. Hope the conflict will pass or leave everything they know behind for a new life. So, Nicole... Kenneth Branagh, what a career he's had as actor and director. We mentioned that Del Toro has had some twists and turns. Branagh's had some peaks and troughs, but more recently known as making sort of tea time blockbuster fare with something like Murder on the Orient Express, Cinderella and Artemis Fowl, which some of us didn't, you know, maybe some of us watched on Disney Plus when that finally came out. Now he's making Belfast, black and white, lower budget, perhaps more of a personal personal tapestry maybe how does that all fit in 
Yeah, I mean, I came to it with reservations, I have to say, because it is Kenneth Branagh and the the films that you mentioned, Cinderella, Thor, Jack Ryan, they're all undeniably entertaining, but they're not enlivening or game-changing. And I sort of thought, okay, maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt with Belfast because it is a personal story and he's telling it from the perspective of lived experience. But I can't say that it changed my mind in terms of... Uh, you know the fact the fact that I think of him as um, yeah a safe a safe middle of the road pair of hands who's uh, capable he's not capable of making much more than kind of well intended but watchable films um, one of my main beefs was actually the uh, the child performance which I'm hesitant to say because I don't want to criticize a child but I think this comes down to the directing more than the acting you know it's the director who is going to elicit that kind of tender performance and unfortunately we've been spoiled in that arena uh, quite recently with Celine Siama's uh, Petit Maman, uh, you know films like Summer 1993 and Custody come to mind in, in that level of naturalness and effortlessness. But here it feels like in every aspect of the film the dial is turned up to sort of wrench our hearts um, and that grated with me you know his his face is always just trying to do that a little bit too much um I'm talking about Jude Hill who plays Buddy the kind of kid that I guess is is meant to be Kenneth um because he grew up in Belfast and left for Reading when he was about nine um and obviously the black and white is is troubling um in in the it has been done to potent effect but obviously Roma comes to mind um Paul Lukowski's Ida in Cold War are reasons where there's an intentionality to it and there's a real reason and beauty to it and here it feels like Branner has maybe chosen it because he thinks it's going to elevate it to um, classic status without really warranting it I didn't I didn't get much from it being black and white uh, and I, I just unfortunately I wasn't moved by it and I failed to connect with it um, it it looks quite pretty but I, again, like I, I would have to. It'd be interesting to see what people from Belfast who experience mm. the Troubles think of it, because you look back at films about the Troubles, and yes, they're all quite bleak and um, quite nasty in some respects. So you, you can perhaps understand that you know Branagh wants to bring uh, an element of joy um, and, and nostalgia to his childhood, because that is something that is lacking within this kind of realm of filmmaking, um, and yet it it feels a bit too sugary and a bit too saccharine. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, that doesn't work for me. It's really fascinating. I find him a, a really intriguing personality, filmmaker, actor, coming onto the scene in the late 80s, directing and starring in Shakespeare adaptations, trying the Hollywood game, you know, both in front of and behind the camera, having a few wobbles along the way, and then... Yes, as you said, directing films like Thor, which are key components of the last 20 years of blockbuster cinema, but still doesn't really build that into a solid gold career. Seems to be in a good position with the Agatha Christie adaptations. I think that, you know, that that's going to do him well for a few years, with even with a ridiculous moustache. But then he clearly just thought, I can do something personal. He, he very clearly saw Roma and thought, I, I, I could do something like that. But doesn't have the ability to strip back or focus maybe his perspective as a director. You made me think of great films of the British independent or art house circuit, films like films by Terence Davis and, and people like that who are able to shape period dramas that play with nostalgia but have some elements of 
you know, uh, hindsight within that. And yes, as you say, Nicole, it comes off a bit sugary, but who, looking at the reviews, the advanced reviews of this, people have been homing in on a few of the performances. Jamie Dornan, in particular, you know, we, we recognise him from films and from Celebrity Gogglebox. Um, how, how is he in this as the dad? <sighs> how is he as the dad? He's okay. Again, I, find, I found it all like very middling. Um, I, I, you know, we, we spoke slightly before about accents. Um, I thought Judy Dench was, was great. She, to me, she was the highlight accents aside. Um, again, everyone feels quite one note, uh, and quite cartoonish, particularly Colin Morgan as this kind of antagonistic character. And mm. I, I felt, I felt the same way about the mother and father, Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfe. They're not given much to do beyond the sort of the, the 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 anger or the emotions that they're feeling they I don't feel like there's an arc and you could argue that that's because there's the child perspective coming into play um in in that it's it's kind of solely focused on buddy and perhaps you know he can't fully comprehend the kind of spectrum of emotions that his parents are going through but whereas there's a film a belgian film that came out uh, or is coming out this year called playground um by laura wondell and that's that is very fixed in the child's perspective this doesn't quite commit to either or of those it just feels like it doesn't commit to anything i i found myself wondering does brown even have a perspective it's his own childhood but i just don't know what he's trying to say with this film and unfortunately that vanilla-ness comes through with the performances you just imagine that he he doesn't know how to i mean he's an actor he must but to me it just felt like he's not eliciting the best from his actors you know we've we've seen them do better in other films uh, i've seen better films about the troubles and i've seen better films about families david what did you make of of, uh, of belfast and brown well 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 <laughs> let let i will say <laughs> listening to what you guys just said i i think you're being very very kind to kenneth branagh director i think he's absolutely awful as a as a director i mean that i don't think his films are comp- like as a kind of contrast to someone like guillermo del toro's he makes he makes anonymous content and you know a lot of, you know he does he, he doesn't try and put any kind of personal stamp he is like pure journeyman you you know you there, there is nothing distinctive or personal about the films he makes and the, the irony being that he's made this highly personal film that doesn't feel distinctive or personal in any way. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, ve- I was really down on this film. I, yeah, I agree that I think there were sort of, you know, the number of kind of more interesting, more sincere and, you know, more successful kind of iterations of this story and the, or this, this kind of type of sort of personal remembrance on film have uh, exist in sort of tens if not hundreds um yeah um it's just it uh, for me i think that the 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 ultimate issue with it is that you know i i I get when someone makes like an artemis fowl or you know a, a, a a kind of tea time agatha christie adaptation and it feels a bit shonky and it feels sort of like you know, we're, we're doing this very much by the numbers. I do not understand that someone would go and make this personal film, this this kind of rip from the heart childhood remembrance with these kind of political trappings. And it feels so utterly dashed off. I, I mean, it, 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 I, I think, I, you know, I, I think the black, black and white at most sort of prettifies it. But like, as you say, there's no, there's no kind of obvious reason for it. 
um, apart from like, you know, signposting that we are in the past. Um, yeah, it's it, 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 so much about it felt like, I don't know if it was COVID. I don't know if it was the situation. If he's like, you know, if he's under some kind of deal where it's like, okay, if you do X, Y, and Z for us, we'll chuck a bit of a side pot so you can make your little personal film, but you can only have like two weeks to do it or something. It felt so rushed. It, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the shot decisions, the ca- the coverage, the camera moves, the, the 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 choreography, the dialogue scenes, just nothing. Nothing felt like it had been done beyond it, it all felt like it was it felt like a one take movie it felt like a kind of Clint Eastwood movie but like you forgive Clint Eastwood because his stories are actually so interesting and he's there is such a kind of like personal morality at play whereas this with, with Kenneth Branagh you have the terrible slipshod production and none of that kind of you know sense of okay this is this this is the kind of um thing that we have that we're supposed to think about and consider and take away from this film yeah i mean yeah accent work all over the shop talk about like you know something that's something that could so easily help people suspend disbelief is just creating creating this very very like fine patina of of authenticity and i don't think he even does that everything about it felt so I think that you know, talk, talking about a film like Roma, the the reason why it's so great is because the the amount of work that that uh, Quaron and his team put into like this sense of it has to feel authentic. We have to transport people in the past. They have to believe it. We have to go beyond what we think is enough to to actually kind of create that sense of full immersion. And you know, Branagh missed that memo and then some. You know, there is. It all feels like kind of. Uh, there were points where it felt like card, like when they, when they're kind of there's a, there's a sequence where a, a supermarket is bombed and it feels like a kind of, you know, it feels like a it feels like a set. It feels like a, a, a supermarket that's been hashed together in an afternoon kind of thing. And 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 this is why there is that something so intriguing about it as somebody who has watched a lot of Kenneth Branagh films over the years. It. It, this was his attempt. This was his chance to step up to the plate and show us what was there. He's, he's lived that life. He this could be his personal story. This could be his independent project, free of um, uh, you know the the, the fat cats, at Disney and Marvel. But, and uh, yeah, he he comes up. But I think comes the, up dry. What, what the what what's happened here is like he. I think I feel he's even. I think that he's maybe been like, you know, he has drank too much of the Kool Aid. You know, he 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 is. He, he has been sort of tainted by all these kind of like, you know, producers meeting and he's been noted to death on all these big Marvel blockbusters of like, the audience got to gotta feel this and we've got to get the emotion here and we've got to have like 14% more love in this scene. And, and, you know, it feels like he's applying that very kind of algorithmic t- type of filmmaking that you maybe would apply to blockbusters to this personal project. It feels like he's like wants both. I've got to do something that's personal, but I, I can't forget my audience. I can't, I can't deliver to them in this kind of, you know, satisfying way that I've learned how to do in, 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 in the big house. So yeah, just fa- failed for me on many levels. <laughs> having, having said all, all that though, I mean, his films can be 
crowd pleasers with certain demographics and this film has been getting five star reviews from certain quarters yeah, fair, so fair play to him. listeners when fair you play fair play to him and listeners when you come, come around to watching Belfast we'd love to know what you, you made of it uh, but let's put our scores on this first Nicole I'll come to you first I think I'm going to go twos across the board I, you know I didn't have high expectations and it didn't exceed them and David um, yeah I'd probably I'd probably go same as well um, I'm it's, it, as 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 uh, as ranty as I was just then, I don't think it's like. I think I think it's one of those situations where like a two is maybe worse than a one. You know, the two is the kind of like apathetic, just a kind of a failure, but not not a kind of offensive failure. I, I'd actually prefer it if it was a one and was was properly kind of contentiously offensive. But like, no, it's not. It's not. It doesn't even deserve the one for me. Yeah, two's across the board from me too. But listeners, that is Belfast. Let us know at LW Lies, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com via email. If you see either Belfast or Nightmare Alley this weekend, or if you go and see something else that we didn't cover, let us know what you make of your cinema-going experiences. Up next, though, we're going back to the mid-1990s for Guillermo del Toro's first film, Kronos. Here is the synopsis of Kronos. An antique dealer and his granddaughter discover a mysterious scarab-like object at the base of an old statue previously owned by a 16th century alchemist who sought eternal life. They and many others are drawn to its power, only available in exchange for blood. So this is the first Del Toro film premiered at Critics Week at Cannes. It received quite a bit of acclaim there and had released in the UK afterwards. David, did you get to see this on release or did you come to it later? Uh, no, I came to it later after seeing would have been one of his earlier ones, like Devil's Backbone, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Devil's Backbone was quite, was quite a big deal and I think that people sort of went back after, after that one. Yeah, definitely post, whatever mm-hmm. it was, post Mimic. I didn't, I didn't see Mimic, uh, which was his kind of thing he did after and was mangled by the studios. Um yeah, I mean, what what an amazing thing! You know, it was, I had I had a I had a wonderful time revisiting the film. I, you know, it's for for a debut f- feature, kind of incredible in to that he managed to sort of pull the resources together to to make it in what was clearly a quite sort of um, expansive and detailed vision. It seems like he got so much of what he wanted up on the screen, probably against... I mean, he's talked... You know, we can't go into it now, but he's, he talk, he has talked and talks at massive length about the, you know, making Kronos... You know, how, it, how he almost kind of... Let, it led him to kind of give up filmmaking because it was such a huge effort to actually get the film made. Um I think it was shot over quite a long period and, you know, the getting the budget together was a nightmare. But actually, like, in the end, this he, he has got this little kind of, you know, it's almost like his own little scarab keepsake that will stay alive forever um, and that has been sort of supplying lifeblood to him for his entire career. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, quite something. And I mean... Um, I you know I think as a film, I think it's got some of his best and some of his worst tendencies as a filmmaker. I think like the pl- like 
there's there's a sense that like probably more so than any of his other films this is a film of like there's like 20 really cool ideas and scenes that he's executed really well he hasn't necessarily like put them together into a coherent plot um it's sometimes it's a very sort of strange plot about a kind of evil uncle and his nephew who wants to inherit this weird factory <laughs> there's there's not a lot of like the, the 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 character motivation is is lacking in the film which makes it a bit i think a, a little bit hard to kind of in, like engage with beyond a kind of superficial level but like it's a i think it's a real treat i mean i re- i had a really enjoyable time watching it again yeah i w- i was in heaven rewatching this um as as uh, we said in that first segment he has that love of gizmos of lore of atmosphere and an approach to genre that is closer to the french idea of the fantastique which is a bit more romantic and subversive than necessarily like outright thrills and spills although there is some wonderful blood in this film as well but as you say it's quite a whiplash coming from something like nightmare alley which is two and a half hours long very written it does have plot to it and it's got kim morgan co-writing the screenplay on that to something that barely has a script it seems and feels like ron perlman another whiplash peeling back 30 years of ron perlman who's so lithe in this film who just seems to be just like yammering away improvising so, in his scenes little fun facts about uncle. ron perlman so this this is what i got from interviewing del toro is that so ron perlman gave del toro originally a copy of nightmare alley and said that he wanted him he he wanted to if he if he were to re, to make it again he'd want to be Stanton Carlyle. Hope there's no bad blood over that. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, the, the, it's it's out of print, out of circulation at the moment in the UK. And there's a Criterion Collection Blu-ray that came out a few years ago. Hopefully, we'll get that because the the old DVD I've got does not stand up. This deserves a restoration. Uh, but Nicole, what did you make of Kronos? I really enjoyed it. I had a great affection for it. And, you know, even though it is slightly underwritten and a bit incoherent in places, there is a real kind of emotional texture to it. And at the heart of the story is this kind of grandfather, like, trying to reconnect with his granddaughter, which I found... um, yeah just kind of very enthralling and beautiful to watch uh it kind of reminded me in some ways of the princess bride in that just sort of like schlocky but entertaining kind of feel to it um you know the the makeup as as the the grandfather is kind of gradually deteriorating gets more and more um unbelievable but you go along with it anyway and i think that's the magic of guillermo is that he pulls you into his worlds um and you know this is no different and and in contrast to something like Belfast, you know, Guillermo del Toro's Spanish language films, they, they do have a really good sense of a child's perspective and he directs children really well in, in Chronos del's background. This is, this is a weird one because the, the, the kid doesn't talk at all in the film. No. Yeah, she's very <laughs> silent. But there's also a delicacy to it, you know, if we're comparing it to Belfast, that, you know, whereas that is sort of broad strokes in the broadest sense, this, you know, there are some really like quite sweet moments in places that you wouldn't expect them. Like a scene that stood out for me is when the grandfather, um, he's... Uh, Jesus, um, he's kind of looking for blood, and he's in this bathroom, and and he finds a puddle on the floor, and the sort of the the earnestness with which he approaches this puddle of blood and kind of starts licking it is kind of like a child licking an ice cream, and I sort mm-hmm. of was quite wowed by that. 
And it's it's so good in a sense of it is so stripped back and barely there and slightly incoherent and plotless, but there is so much room there then for meaning to to rise out of what we're seeing. So it's such a good allegory for I don't know, drug addiction, for grief, and how we hold our our you know, older and dead relatives in esteem once they've gone, and how they 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 you know survive in our in our memories or in our attics. It's uh, really something. Would recommend listeners uh, if you've not watched that, go and watch Chronos very quickly before. I wrap up would we shout out another del toro film nicole does one come to mind across his body of work i know you said that you run hot and cold with his films um i'm gonna go with crimson peak I, that's a controversial one right it, it, it divided people i'm a fan uh, but you're you're a fan then i'm a fan too it kind of it uh it speaks to me <laughs> <laughs> and uh, David, I know that uh, around would it have been Crimson Peak? Uh, there was a big Guillermo del Toro retrospective issue at Little White Lies, was it? Um, so you're you're well up on Guillermo. Well, What's the one that stands for me, out for you? I think his masterpiece is uh, Pacific Rim. Um, I, I I think it's one. Of the, I think it's still for me the best blockbuster of the 21st century. Um, uh, I've 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 watched. I, I've got. I've bought an HD. Uh, 4k version of it and me and the missus are gonna gonna watch it soon it's just it's it's a ballet movie that's my uh that's my take on it and i think uh, yeah I, I i just think it's utterly glorious i've watched it about probably six or seven times uh i think it's his per his 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 one perfect movie Oh, wonderful. I've not seen that since the cinema. So I think I'm well overdue a rewatch of that. Thank you, David. Maybe I can come round and watch it with you and the missus. <laughs> Be my guest. Bring the kids. <laughs> well, that is our thoughts on Kronos, Belfast and Nightmare Alley listeners. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Nicole and David for joining me. Listeners, if you want to send us your takes on the films we've talk- talked about this week, email us truthandmovies at tcolunder.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, we have Pedro Amodovar's Parallel Mothers. We have Romuald Garay's debut Amulet. And in Film Club, we have a Pedro Amodovar classic as picked by you, the listeners, on Twitter. If you want to get it spoiled for you, head to LWLies uh, <laughs> on Twitter and see what won. David. Nicole, thanks again for joining me. And listeners, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. The podcast is hosted by me, Michael Leader, and my guests this week were David Jenkins and Nicole Davis. Truth and Movies is produced by Jake Cunningham and is edited by Steph Watts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.